Well, good morning, ladies. I know you have enjoyed being in John 17 as much as I have because it is such a powerful chapter of Scripture. In fact, we're getting a glimpse into the prayer life of Jesus, which we really don't see anywhere else. Now, if you go through the Gospels, I would highly encourage you. This is what I do just in the margin of my Bible. Every time Jesus prayed or it mentioned him praying, I put a little P outside of that verse in the margin. And then I go back and I love to go back and look and see how Jesus prayed, how often he prayed. And if the perfect son of God put that kind of priority on prayer, I need that to be my priority as well. So today, we get to look into a little bit more in depth the prayer life of Jesus as we've gotten one recorded for us. In fact, you'll see that Jesus would spend a whole night in prayer before he would select his disciples, and then he would many times go away early in the morning to be alone and pray, but we don't know all that he prayed about. We also know that now, since his ascension, and he's back at the right hand of the Father, that he ever lives to make intercession for us. Not only is Jesus praying for us this morning, but the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf and takes our prayers in those times when we really don't even have words for what we're experiencing. And he takes those groans and he turns them into prayers that are acceptable to the Father. He intercedes on our behalf. So this is a very sacred portion of scripture. Obviously all of scripture is, but this is probably one of the most sacred because we're getting some insight into the very prayer life in the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I love this quote from the message of John Commentary. It says, while prayer never can be measured by mere quantity, it is generally true of the Western church today that there is simply not nearly enough prayer. The exposition of the word of God and prayer belong together. It is in prayer, costly, sustained, and prevailing, that the word of God is released through teaching and preaching. Prayer is the price of power, and the church of Jesus Christ is not likely to recover its lost authority until this basic biblical truth is recovered. Now, this passage in John chapter 17 naturally divides itself into three sections. And as you study this past week, you see the first five verses are really Jesus praying. And we sometimes say he's praying about himself, but what he's actually doing is praying to the Father, asking the Father to be glorified through him, submitting himself once again and giving us a pattern for our prayers as we come into the presence of the Father to make sure we are submitted to his will and his will only. Let's look at verses 1 through 5. Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. You see here, he's not about glorifying himself. It's not about him. What is he saying? Father, glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. So Jesus focus was to fulfill the purpose and to accomplish the work of the Father. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So Jesus is beginning his prayer by aligning himself with the word of God and basically submitting himself once again to the Father saying, I have come to glorify you. Glorify yourself 
through me. I have accomplished the work you have given me to do. And we are a gift. He said, you have given these to me. We are a gift given to Jesus Christ by the Father. And we have been given eternal life. God is clothed in splendor in the eyes of those who perceive what has been achieved by God himself in the cross. Resurrection and exaltation to the Son. To see God's glory, to be given eternal life, these are parallel. And lest the reader miss the point, the two themes are drawn together in verse 3. Eternal life turns on nothing more and nothing less than knowledge of the true God. Eternal life is not so much everlasting life as personal knowledge of the everlasting one. It is as you get into the word of God that you know the son of God and you know the everlasting one who came that we might have life abundant. And Jesus says, I have accomplished the will of the father. Going to the cross was as good as done because Jesus Christ came to this earth to live a sinless life and to die in our place paying our price. In fact, Philippians 2, 5 through 8 tells us to have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So we are told by scripture that we, have, we are to have the same attitude that Jesus Christ has. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I need to have an attitude check. <laughs> sometimes I need to check my attitude. I need to stop and say, Lord, help me. Line me up with Christ because too often self gets in the way. I desire to have the attitude of Christ. I desire to choose humility. I desire to submit to the will and the word of God, but it has to be an active choice, and I have to be aware of my own attitudes. In fact, this past week, I listened to a message by Francis Chan, and in it, in fact, the message was entitled Dying to Self, and you actually have the link in your handout. I would highly encourage you. It's a very engaging message on what it means to die to ourselves, but he mentioned 2 Timothy chapter 3, and in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of selfies. <laughs> selfies. And when we love self, guess what flows out of our life? All the rest of the evil that he mentions in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In fact, it says they'll be lovers of, mon of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of ple pleasure rather than lovers of God. That all flows out of a heart that loves self above all else. Now, what are we told to do? We're told to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We don't have a problem loving ourselves. In fact, I don't know that there's ever been a time in culture where loving yourself has been so prominent. In fact, one of the things he talked about was when he was a child growing up, and you remember cameras? Does anybody remember cameras before we had <laughs> phones that took pictures? And you would go, say, visit a waterfall. And what did you do? You stood and gazed at the waterfall and you marveled at the beauty and the majesty of what God has created. And then you might take a picture of the waterfall and then maybe you would gather somebody else passing by and say, hey, would you take a picture of our family in front of the waterfall? 
But what do we do now? The moment we see a gorgeous waterfall, we go, <laughs> we take a picture of ourselves with the waterfall way back in the distance, right? But the focus is on self. And he says, where else has it ever been okay for you to create a page on the internet and post only pictures and information about yourself? And he said, it's okay now because we call it Facebook. It's social media. It's Instagram. We're so focused on self that we've gotten our gaze off of the Lord. And it is time that we shift our gaze off of self and back onto the Lord, asking him to enable us through the power of his Holy Spirit to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, with all of our being to love him. And when we do, when we love him like that, sin loses its grip because we're not focused on self. How many of you, if you're honest, came in this morning thinking, is my friend going to be here for small group? I wish I was in that small group because my other friend is in that small group, and I think I would like that small group better. I wonder if, the, if I'm going to enjoy the music today. Or you come into a worship service and think, I wonder if the, if the preacher's going to speak to me today. And you leave thinking, you know, I'm just not being fed. Do you come in to a worship service for yourself? Or do you come in to a corporate setting to worship the Lord with your focus on him. And if we come in with our focus on him, we are going to see one far more beautiful, far more majestic and holy and faithful and righteous and true. And our hearts will then begin to overflow with what Jean talked about last week with peace and love and joy. In fact, that's we're going to see it's a part of the prayer that Christ prays for us. We get life through him and through his word. We experience joy, inexpressible, full of glory. And we get to experience his love, the love of the Father through the Son, sealed by the Holy Spirit. We have this because we're in Christ Jesus, but we allow our attitudes be captured by the world. We've allowed the individualistic culture to suck us in instead of standing firm against the schemes of the enemy and continuing to fix our gaze on Jesus Christ. We must ask the Lord to examine our attitudes. Do I have the attitude of Christ? Am I choosing humility? Am I choosing to set my mind on things above and to fix my eyes on Jesus? Because when I do, Joy will overflow, <laughs> and life, abundant life, will be experienced. But it takes denying self, just as Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, to all of those who were following him. He said, if you want to come after me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. So if we're going to emulate Christ in his life and in his prayer life, we can see here we need to begin. And what did he say in the model prayer? Pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're to pray that daily. So our focus should be on the will of God, on accomplishing his will and his purposes for our life. You know, when we're focused on ourselves and that sinfulness of our flesh is given precedent in our life, it impacts our marriages, it impacts the way we parent, it impacts our family life, it impacts the church, as we've mentioned. So let's choose to follow the example of Jesus Christ. And let's have the same attitude he had. Let's empty ourselves just like he did and choose to be a bond servant of Jesus 
that he might be glorified in us and through us. And then Jesus turns to praying for his disciples. So we'll pick back up in John 17, verse 6. And Jesus says, I have manifested your name. Now, what is God's name? God's name is a revelation of his character, of who he is. And he progressively revealed himself to us through his names in Scripture. So he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. So we see Jesus praying for his disciples. Number one, that they would manifest his name. What did Jesus say he had done? Father, I have manifested your name to the disciples. You have kept them in your name. The psalmist tells us the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. God is everything that his names reveal him to be. And he asked the Lord to keep them in his name, in his character, in who he is. You know, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, after we see that Jesus humbled himself and emptied himself and became a bondservant and was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Then the, goes on to tell us, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So as God has revealed himself throughout scripture through his names, his ultimate expression is Jesus Christ himself, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And God has given him, because of his obedience, the name that is above all names. The name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. As we've been studying through the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings, we've seen Revelation 19 just last week, and how Jesus will come with a name written on him, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
He is above all. He is the king of all kings. His name is the only name to be honored and exalted. Then he also prayed that they would be unified in the Trinity. Just as he and the Father are one, he's asking the Father to make them one with him. Because we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we have been included in that Trinitarian relationship. And that's very difficult for us to grasp. But because the Father and the Son are one and we are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we are sealed with Him and we are grafted into, we are invited into that very Trinitarian relationship. We can experience the oneness of essence because we have become partakers of the divine nature. So we can actually experience that oneness, but that oneness can only be experienced through humility, through the denial of self and taking up our cross. It's the dying to self that enables us to experience the resurrection life that unites us to God the Father, the Son, through the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Jesus was praying for his followers. I love Paul's blessing to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 13, 14, he said, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The only way we can experience the love of God is to first experience the grace of Jesus. So the order is is on purpose here. We must experience the grace of Jesus Christ through salvation before we're then able to experience the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the oneness, the unity that we have because we're in Christ Jesus. And he prayed this for them that their joy may be full. Christ's desire is that you might be blessed, that you might be happy, that you might be full of joy, the joy that you can only know when your deepest needs are met through your personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. But once again, it takes taking that phone of our life and hitting that camera button that flips the camera so that now we're looking out and not looking at ourselves. So we're asking the Lord, Lord, help me to flip the switch. Help me to flip the camera so that I'm looking out, up at you, and out at others. That's what he's called us to do. James Stewart said in his book, The The Strong Name, it was God's deed, God in action, to take the tragic wrongness of this wayward, warring world upon his own heart. God defeating the principalities and powers of darkness at the very point of their proudest triumph and shattering the shackles of their tyranny to set the prisoners free. And so the beam that shines from the cross, the very light which pierces and condemns and wrecks my self-defenses, heals also and blesses and gives life. And the shame of the despairing becomes the joy of the reconciled. All of us have experienced shame. The enemy, the accuser, makes sure of that. But do you not just love that? The shame of the despairing becomes the joy of the reconciled. We have this joy that Peter says is joy inexpressible, full of glory, because we are in Christ, fully accepted, completely forgiven. The recipients of abundant life, everlasting, but life right now as well. Then he prays that the Lord will keep them from the evil one. We notice that was also something he asked us to pray in our daily model prayer, that the Lord would keep us from temptation, and literally deliver us from the evil one. Then he asked the Lord to sanctify them in his truth. You know, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, 
and the truth shall set you free. We are sanctified through the truth of the word of God and letting it become a part of who we are as the Lord renews our mind through his word. Well, I just finished reading a book written by one of our precious young women at Bellevue this past week and wrote an endorsement for it. The title of it is These Twelve Stones, and it's written by Rachel Dawson. And in it, she's quoting, actually, Grace Wade, who works with our middle schoolers. And Grace had given her a definition for sin. She said, sin is actually wounding a relationship, not breaking a rule. When we sin, sin separates It quenches and it grieves the Holy Spirit. It separates us from the will and the manifest presence of God. We're unable to discern it as long as we're seeking ourself first and our sin. It is only in confessing and forsaking them that we find mercy and healing and a restoration of that oneness, that unity that we desire to experience. Well, when the quarantine happened... Rachel was a senior this past year, and so she was going to be missing many of the milestones that she'd been looking forward to for all 12 years of her school experience. And so she pulled out all of her old journals, and because she has godly parents who've been very intentional in their parenting, because she's been discipled by godly women in this church who have been faithful to pour into her, She was a student of the Word of God, and she had recorded things in journals through the years that God had revealed to her and things that God had spoken to her in times of crisis and times that were dark for her family when her father went through a very serious diagnosis a couple of years ago. And she had recorded those things in her journal. So when she pulled them out, her faith was encouraged. She was blessed by the ways that God had answered prayers, the way that God had revealed himself in the midst of her own struggles. And so she began to write about them and realized, Lord, I want to put this in a book. So she was very productive during her quarantine time and actually wrote a book in just a few short weeks. And it's excellent. I am amazed with the depth and the insight that this young woman has into the word of God. But it goes beyond gifts that Rachel has. It's because she's chosen to have the same attitude as Jesus. It's because she chose to be obedient to the word of God. It's because she chose humility and to trust him even when she could not understand that she was able to see his faithfulness. And she's able now to share the truth of that faithfulness in her book, These Twelve Stones. You know, faithful followers of Christ are discipled. Life on life, where they learn not only the word of God, but for the God of the word to become real to them and for his faithfulness to be the bedrock upon which they build their life. Rachel's life and her words are a beautiful picture of one who has been sanctified in the truth. And we need to ask ourselves, is my life a picture of one who is being sanctified by the truth? Is Christ's truth setting me free from myself (laughs) so that I can daily choose to deny myself, take up my cross and follow Jesus and experience the abundant life, the blessed life, the joy, the life, the peace, the love that I can only have and find in him. And then Jesus moves in verses 20 through 26 to praying for us, those who would believe through the words of the disciples. He said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. 
I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Do you see this picture of unity here? What has he said twice? That the world may know, that the world may believe. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. He's praying for us. He's praying for you. He's praying that we would believe. We are those who have believed through their word. And he prayed that we might be one in the Trinitarian relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Once again, here's a quote from James Stewart. Without, <clears throat> without the work of the Spirit in our hearts, even Jesus is a great unknown. He shall receive of mine, said Jesus, and shall show it unto you. He shall convince you of my truth. He shall authenticate to you my power and my divinity. He shall make my living presence the most intimate and unchallengeable reality of your life. Is Jesus Christ the most intimate and unchallengeable reality of your life? If he isn't, we have some soul searching to do. If he isn't, it may be that we need to flip the camera and get the focus off of ourselves and back on to Christ back onto his word, back onto the mission and the purpose that he has for our individual lives because he has gifted us and placed us in the body that the body might be healthy and vibrant, that the world might know, that the world might believe. Our purpose is that others might believe. Jesus left them with the Great Commission. Those are our marching orders to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them all that Jesus has commanded. And it's then that he promises to be with us even to the end of the age. We can't claim that promise unless we're fulfilling his command, unless we're living on mission and I just want to tell you from personal experience, when I am focused on myself, I'm an extremely small package. And I can be very um, difficult to be around <laughs> because I'm focused on what I want. I'm focused on my way. But when I shift my focus out to Jesus Christ and I choose as an act of my will to die to my flesh, I am once again united by the Holy Spirit to the Son of God and to the Father in that Trinitarian relationship. And it is then that I can hear his voice most clearly through his word and sometimes through the inner witness of his spirit that I belong to him. There's a purpose and a plan and he will then call me into that purpose, into what it is he's wanting me to accomplish. Why? So the world may believe, so that they will see in us what cannot be explained that we may be perfected. That word literally means to attain, to become, brought to completion, or maturity. If we are not united, if we're not experiencing the unity of the Spirit, then we are living immature. We are living with strife and jealousy among us, which is a carnal Christian, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us. We're living like mere men and women instead of Spirit-filled believers who have fixed our eyes on Jesus and who are on mission just as Christ was. 
We do it that the world may know that he loves us and that we may be with him, that he may be in us, and one day we will be with him physically, fully, the veil removed, no more seeing as in a mirror dimly, but seeing him face to face. Now, what I have to say to you, I have written down, and I'm going to read it because I believe it came from the heart of the Father to each of us because of what's going on in our culture right now that I know grieves the heart of our Heavenly Father over the division that has come within the church. The division of the church today is a direct violation of John 17. And the only way we can be perfect or mature in unity is to follow the example of Christ, to have this attitude in ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, to choose to humble ourselves, to choose to submit ourselves to the will and the word of our Heavenly Father, to make everything in our lives line up with the truth of God's word. As his disciples were arguing over who was the greatest, Jesus was girding himself with a towel and washing their filthy feet. While the world around us is raging, and even believers are biting and devouring one another, it is time for us, as believers of Jesus Christ, to fix our eyes on him and to ask him to mature us to perfect us in unity, that we might be united in him through the Holy Spirit, and we might gird that towel and wash the feet of those around us, that we would not be divided by secondary issues. If there are believers who believe that the only way to to the Father is through Jesus Christ, through his sinless life, his virgin birth, His death on the cross taking our place, paying our penalty. If we believe on the basics, the foundational truths of the faith, we can let these secondary issues go because we have way too much to do. Things that are so much more important. There are people dying all around us and going to hell while the church fights and bickers over differences in doctrine that are not essential to the faith. It is time for us as believers to mature. Why? So that the world may know. So that the world may believe. Oh, Father, help us that any of us would ever be a stumbling block to anyone that because of our own division, because of our wanting to be the greatest on social media or wherever it is that we like to be seen, Oh, Father, forgive us. Father, have mercy. Don't allow us to be deceived any longer by the God of this world. But let your word, your truth, penetrate our hearts and minds this morning and sanctify us in your truth, Father. Grant it how I pray. And let me ask you, what does the world know about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because of your life. Are you obeying the greatest command to love the Lord with all of your being? What is the proof? Are you loving your neighbor like you love yourself? 
Are you experiencing the unity of the Trinitarian relationship that we've been invited into by their Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit? Look to the exalted Christ. Fix your eyes on Him. He alone fills you with joy and expressible and love everlasting. When your gaze is fixed on Him, you're no longer sucking the life out of everybody else around you. You no longer walk into church saying, what am I going to get out of this? You walk in saying, may I meet with Jesus. Father, would you grant me a moment of transcendence? Would you open my eyes and allow me to see you? And would you give me ears to hear what your spirit is saying? Fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have been called to unity. We have been given a glimpse into the heart of our Savior as he interceded on our behalf that we might be one with him in the Father through the Spirit. I want to ask you this morning to let the Spirit of God examine your heart. Are you unified with the Father and the Son through the Spirit? Because if you are, that unity, that love, that joy is going to be evident in your life. And the Lord will be able to use you to be a unifier in his body. One who will speak words of life and truth and hope and love. In a broken world that has lost its mooring. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we bow before you. Lord, this insight into the heart of Jesus has been so convicting. The unity to which you've called us that the world might know. And yet, Father, when I look on social media, I see so much warring and raging and attacks against fellow believers instead of sticking to issues, instead of girding a towel and washing the feet of fellow believers and of a desperately lost world. Would you now confess to the Lord any sin that he's bringing to your heart and mind? Would you ask him to fill you afresh with his Holy Spirit? And use you as a vessel of honor in his hand to exalt the name of Christ and to unify believers around the cross. Father, would you grant it and would you use us, unite us, knit us together, one heart, one mind in Christ Jesus, that the world might know. Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.